Good. Amen. Merry Christmas to you all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for gathering us here that we might consecrate another week to you. That we might remember your covenant, remember your promises to us, and remember your Sabbath to keep it holy and to remember the ultimate Sabbath that we enjoy in you. I pray, Father, as we sit at your feet and hear the gospel message proclaimed to us from an angel by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I pray that this gospel would penetrate our hearts that it might open up and release energy in our lives, that we might live for you and for our neighbor, and that we might see your kingdom power in our own lives and in the world around us. We pray that you would do this through the preaching of your word for the next few minutes. In Jesus Christ's name, and all who agree, would you say amen? Amen. All right, Luke chapter 1. It is Christmas, and it is the Lord's Day, so... It's certainly fitting to go straight to the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 26. I'm going to just work my way through this particular passage, nothing fancy, but um, hopefully we'll bring out a few interesting details that will help you. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, that is closest to us would be engaged, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now for nearly 2,000 years, the virgin birth has been under attack by the enemies of God. Yet it is incredibly important for us as Christians to hold fast to it and to believe it um, for several reasons. One is that it fulfills prophecy. Look at Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, what's that next word, Christ Church? The. That's right. Behold, the virgin Not a virgin, the virgin, the one ordained before the foundation of the world to be that virgin. The virgin shall conceive, that is, Jesus would be conceived in her womb while she was a virgin, and bear a son. The word to bear a son means to carry the son in the womb and to deliver it on the delivery day. That is, she conceived as a virgin And she bore the child for approximately nine months as a virgin. And she birthed the child on his due date on Christmas as a virgin. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Which is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham to be God to him and to his offspring after him. And how much more can he be God to us than to be God with us, which is Emmanuel. Now, it's very important to believe in the virgin birth because it is the fulfillment of prophecy. But it's also very important theologically because Jesus is not just a great man. 
He's not even the greatest of men. He's not a great founder of a religion. He is one of a kind. Amen? He is entirely unique. He is God. He is man. He is not at all like Buddha or Jupiter or Muhammad. He is the new man. The founder of the new humanity. He is the new Adam, which means man. And he is God. Amen, Christ Church. This is something we don't often talk about, I suppose, but it is absolutely essential for us as a church, laying a foundation for the future and for generations to hold fast to the virgin birth of Christ. It's theologically incredibly important. But it's also very important for you practically. See, because if you reject the virgin birth of Jesus, then you are rejecting the Bible. And to reject the Bible is to reject God who spoke the Bible. The Bible is the very word of God. Amen? The Bible doesn't just contain the words of God. The Bible is the words of God. And that's why we can confidently make theological deductions. We can confidently assert truths with definite articles like the in front of the word virgin. Because it is the very word of God. Down to the jot, to the tittle, down to the iota, down to the definite and indefinite articles, to the past and present and future tenses. All of it is verbally inspired by God. And we can receive it as the authoritative voice of God. Amen, Christ Church? And the authoritative word of God says, The virgin shall conceive. Now, if you look up liberal, theologically liberal translations, and there's many of them out there, they will translate the virgin as young maiden. However, if you read the context clearly, this particular virgin loves the Lord. She is righteous. She has also never been married. And she is also you know, a virgin. And that's why we translate it the virgin. Right? If she were unrighteous, perhaps we could say a handmaiden or a, a maiden. Or if she were married, perhaps we could say a maiden. But it is a virgin and it must be translated virgin. And there's no way to wiggle out of it. So this is also very important for us practically because if the Bible says it, and this is sort of an old-fashioned saying, but if the Bible says it, then what? That settles it. We shouldn't be too sophisticated for old-fashioned sayings. If the Bible says it, that settles it. And when you reject what the Bible clearly says, you are putting your own soul at risk. Amen? And if the Bible says that Job walked with dinosaurs, then Job walked with dinosaurs. I don't care what the professor or the accrediting agency or the certification board or the credentials committee or the men of this world have to say about it. I'd rather look like a fool to the world but walk in the fear of the Lord and believe the very words of God. If the Bible says that a prophet was delivered to a a far-off nation by a fish, then a prophet was delivered to a far-off nation by a fish. If the Bible says that a man was raised from the dead, or if God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, then that settles it. And it is, in very, it is very important for us to have this in our minds as we go to the text of Scripture, that these are the very words of God. 
It doesn't just contain the word of God. It is God speaking to us down to the grammatical nuances. And we must read it in the fear of the Lord. Amen? Now, there are, of course, difficult passages. And I was going to list a few for you, but I decided not to. Because I don't want to trouble anyone who's not ready for them. But there are difficult passages that if I were to state to you, you would feel suspicion against me. Because you would immediately recognize that these difficult passages conflict with your sense. They conflict with your tradition. They conflict with your systematic theology. They conflict with your compartments. So what are we to do with difficult passages that seem to upset us? Uh, What do we do with them? We do not read over them as though they don't exist. Amen. We don't skim through them. We don't read the Bible like a sieve. Take some in and release the rest. We receive it and we believe it. And we say like this, whatever that means, I believe it. We put it on the shelf. We tell God we believe it. We ask God for further clarification and perhaps he will give it to us. But unless we have that level of fear and respect for the word of God, he will reveal nothing to us. For the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And you will receive no knowledge if you don't begin there. So we believe, as Augustine said, in order that we might understand. Amen, Christ Church? If we say to God, I will believe when I get it, you will never get it. Because he resists the proud. Anyone who would look to their own reason as ultimate truth needs to leave the Protestant church altogether. Because the Protestant church, the Reformed church, was founded on sola scriptura. Which means scripture alone. And nothing else is our ultimate authority. Amen? Amen. So this is why we must believe the Bible when it says the virgin conceived and bore a child. Because to reject that particular word is to reject the Bible and to put ourselves in grave danger. All right. Now, pastor, I want to believe this. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir here to some extent. I know that this is probably not something that anyone here wrestles with today. Um, But listen carefully. Even if you want to believe this and you're not sure about it or you're on on the fence, the one thing you can't say is, I'll believe this when I can figure out how this happened. All right. You see, you'll uh, look at verse 28 with me, right? And you'll see what the angel has to say about how it's going to happen. Let's look at it. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, as you can imagine why, and tried to discern what sort of a greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Amen? That's the Christmas promise. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, what we are all tempted to say in response to the word of God, how will this be? 
since I am a virgin. You see, she is a person with faith. But when faced with this impossible promise, her faith languishes. And she asks the question, how too soon? How will this be? You know, there's that, that song which is kind of famous now. Um, and it asked, Mary, did you know? I know a lot of people hate that song. Right? Mary, did you know? Well, Mary didn't exactly know how, right? right? But she does know why, right? And she certainly knew what. But the how is into, in question for sure. But the angel's going to answer her. God is going to condescend to her lack of faith, or I should say her little faith. And he's going to answer her question as to how. A virgin can have a child. And the angel answered her. This is how the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So that's how. You're saying that I have to believe that a virgin gave birth to a child? Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. That does not... um, harmonize with good sound reason. I haven't been able to observe it. It cannot be reproduced. We cannot study it in a laboratory. I haven't found it in any of the scholarly journals. And yet you're saying I'm supposed to believe this particular truth, even though it is somewhat irrational. Yes, because the Holy Spirit did it. You see, if God can hover over the waters of the deep in the first creation, he can most certainly hover over the virgin's womb for the second creation, the new creation. So, how? The Holy Spirit. He made it happen. He created the humanity of Jesus in the womb of Mary. Well, let's go on, verse 31, because the angel doesn't tell her how so much, but he does say why. And behold, you will conceive in your womb... And bear a son. That is, he will be truly human. Amen? He is not part human. He is not half human. He is not a superhuman. He is truly a human, like you and I, except for sin. And you shall call his name Jesus, which means what? He shall save his people from their sin. Listen carefully. This is a debated topic. But it does not say that he comes to earth to make salvation possible for those who, in their own autonomous will, choose him. He comes to save his people, to accomplish it, to save all those whom the Father has given him. Amen? His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That is, he is divine. He is truly God. He is not half of a God. He is truly God. Truly God and truly man in one person. One person, two natures. The humanity and the deity of this one person does not cross over to making him a little God or a superhuman. He is truly God, truly man in one person. That's the incarnation, a very important doctrine for us. You say, but how does that make sense? It doesn't. Right. Not to our little pea brains, right? Can we draw Leviathan out with a hook? Can we chain Pleiades? Were we there when God created the world? Did he consult with us? No. Our response, and it is the only proper response, is to receive what the Bible says, period. End of discussion. As the ultimate authority for all of truth. 
And the Bible says he is truly God, truly man, son of the Most High and the son of Mary. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. This was the promise in the Davidic covenant that one of David's descendants would sit on the throne forever. And he wouldn't just take this office as an honor. He would use his office. It says in verse 33, And he will, from this throne which he received at his ascension, He will reign, he will rule and reign over the house of Jacob forever. That is, over Israel. This was, of course, promised in the Old, promised in the Abrahamic, and promised in the Davidic covenant. Jesus comes to fulfill all of those promises, and he reigns over the house of Jacob, the reconstituted Israel, what Paul calls in Galatians chapter 6, the true Israel of God, the church, beginning with the 12 apostles, establishing the 12 tribes of Israel, and the Gentiles grafted in. That's the house of Jacob. And Jesus rules over us. And how long does he rule over us? Forever. Beginning with his baptism in the Jordan River, beginning his reign, even until today. And for how long? Forever. Not for a thousand years, that is poetic, right? Not sometime in the future, beginning when he came at Christmas, he has ruled ever since, and he will continue to rule over us to the end of human history. Amen. And what will happen with this rule? And of his kingdom, there will be no end. No end in time, right? And no end in space. There will be nothing to thwart his rule and his reign. Which is why we sing Joy to the World. Which is why we celebrate the Christ Mass, Christmas coming. So Mary didn't know exactly how this was going to happen. She took God's word for it, but she didn't know why it was happening. To fulfill all of the promises that God had given and to rule over the heavens and the earth with all authority and to rule until the end of human history victoriously. Starting at verse 36. It might be hard to believe, but Mary believes it. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. That's a miracle in and of itself. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Isn't it nice for God to give her a little testimony like that? Ask Elizabeth. She's pregnant too. right? And you know, a young 14 or 15 year old Mary could probably have her faith Um, bolstered by old Elizabeth telling her to trust the Lord. Look what he did here. He can do it for you as well. So not only does she believe, God helps her belief and helps her unbelief. And she says, and this should be our life motto, Christ Church. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Who is the servant of the Lord here this morning? If you've been purchased by his blood, he ransomed you. He redeemed you from sin. And now you are his. Amen. You are his bond slave his doulos, his servant. I am the servant of the Lord, and as his servants, he does not leave us without a word, but he tells us precisely what we are to believe and what we are to think and what we are to do, and therefore we should say with Mary, let it be to me according to your word. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Father, we ask you this Christmas season... On the precipice of a new year, we ask you for the gift of faith. We know that faith is a gift. And we know that all the faith that we might have in the Word of God is a gift from you. But we ask you for even greater faith. 
that we might believe the word of God when it is spoken to us, when we read it, and when we hear it preached. May this year be a year where we all can echo Mary and say, we are your servants. May it be to us according to your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.